Hello and welcome to the AB Forums podcast for Monday the 18th of July and joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Please Captain, not in front of the Klingons. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Must be all those marshmallows. Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. Stand by to execute emergency landing plan B. And Mark Borrow. I have little choice but to sample your beans. Welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, it's been a uh, last week was a good week for British sport. Uh, Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for a second time, so nice on when the Scotsman there. When are you um, when you're gonna have an English champion then, lads? Eat <laughs> your dears. Eat your dears since you had in the men's English. No idea. Yeah. Well, there's no English. real reason to. We'll, we'll, when we let you have your freedom back. <laughs> <laughs> He's an honorary, honorary Englishman when he wins, and he's a rubbish Scot when he loses. So it works out quite well, actually. And of course, he was on, uh, um, what's it called last night? That Mock the Week. Show. Yes. Yeah. It was, it's funny. He's quite dry, isn't he? It's, I mean, as I must have said, when he did win, his wife smiled for nearly six or seven milliseconds. <laughs> <laughs> And no one swore for a minute. The longest I've ever seen her do it. So uh. I, I thought it was hilarious when he's losing his head at his box. His people, <laughs> and Ivan Lendl, every time the camera <laughs> went to Ivan Lendl, it looked like he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no emotion in that face whatsoever. He just sat there. I don't even think he stood up once he won, did he? He was still sat down. I think uh, it's kind of like a, a hug afterwards. No, I think it's like a weekend at Bernie's style thing. <laughs> Even then, died a few years ago. There's always They're someone on the side of him, isn't there? Yeah. You never know. That could be. That could be true. I'm sure that was one of the jokes last night on Mock of the Week as well. Anyway, moving on. Um, Lewis Hamilton also won the the British Grand Prix. Anybody still watching F1, or are we all bored with it now? I was on mute because I was working. It was all right. You know, it was it having having a track which wasn't bone dry made it tolerably interesting. But it's it's not a vintage set of rules and no, it's not a vintage situation when you've got one team which is monstrously better than all the others and plus i only ever watched the start of grand prix because that's just about the only exciting bit and, <laughs> and it was just, it was a five it was five laps of the safety car to start yes with. what I mean, a disappointment just, that is the best oh bit no is. there is some water you might as well see the drivers with armbands mm. everyone watches into the first corner and then everyone watches <laughs> like the last lap just that's about case. it yeah yeah yeah, well, there has been some incidents on the last lap recently, so you know, you, that's probably the best time to watch as well. Um, anyway, so moving on from sport. So, has uh, anybody else checked out the the new um, AV Forums phone comparison tool? Well, I have. I, I was actually obliged. <laughs> but it was really good. It's really, it really works. Well, it's dead easy to use. I didn't need any explanation and straight in. I don't need a mobile phone deal. So that kind of, it lost the gloss after a few minutes, but yeah, it works really well. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking for a mobile phone and so on, then there is a tool now on AV forums to help you out with that. So go and check that out before you go and check anything else out. You might save some money and you might, um, help to keep AV forums on the air, as they say. Uh, moving on competitions. Do we have any, Steve? We don't um, currently, which is a surprise. Okay, um, and uh, Mark, have we got any previous winners? Uh, we've got multiple previous winners, not just one, but f- five. Five winners of QAQ Sticks BT3 Bluetooth speakers. Uh, uh, first up, we got Damien nineteen seventy eight. We've got Jocko, Tony S three one two, Tim H, and Franklin Tuesday. So congratulations to all them. And they Good all price. win BT3 Bluetooth Hi-Fi speakers from Q Acoustics. So well Excellent done, price. guys. That's yeah. a hell of a prize. Yeah. Excellent. Right, so let's move on. Uh, Hardware News and Sky have launched or announced that they're going to launch their 4K service. We knew it was coming. Um, but it's going to be on the 13th of August, Mark. It is. Uh, um, they're headlining with what exactly what we expected to, a mixture of uh, sport 
uh, move, big movies and drama series, plus there's some nature documentaries in there as well. Um, they're going to have 124 Premier League games in Ultra HD, which uh, BT Sport was no doubt looking at with a small amount of envy, I would think. Um, they're having the world's premiere of Ultra HD in of Spectre, so that's going to be worth watching. Uh, the Revenant, which both Steve and I have seen on Ultra HD Blu-ray and is spectacular. Um, the Martian, I haven't seen. Uh, what happened? Yeah, I know you have. <laughs> that goes without, <laughs> goes without saying. Uh, they've also got Formula One racing starting in 2017. Uh, various Sky Store rentals. There are <laughs> some small print bits about the Formula One. We'll come to that later on. Oh, right. I haven't got to the small print. I'll, I'll, let, you, uh, I'll, let, you, I'll let you explain those. Uh, and then we the, coming to the hardware requirements, you obviously need a SkyQ silver box. This won't work on the minis. Uh, and your TV will obviously need to be Ultra HD capable, but it will also need to be able to accept content up to 50 frames per second and be HDCP 2.2 compliant. They've given you some advice about um, setting up your TV, but apparently when you, if you try and access the Ultra HD content and you've not set up properly, it'll, it gives you a little tutorial. And, okay. that's, and that's about the size of it. Now, a lot of stuff being crammed in there, which when you look at Sky in terms of picture quality is never a good good thing. I, I can't speak from personal experience. I, I, I've never had Sky. but you know, I have. Had, I, yes. I have, and I can speak from personal experience. I'm sure Ed can as well in terms of picture quality. It has its um, moments, both good and bad, I think it's fair to say. Um, it still seems to be in part dependent on what negotiation the channel's done with Sky as to how much actual sort of bandwidth they get. But yeah, there are occasions where it's like, mm, this is not very high definition. Yeah, in and, and I mean, sense of the word. they're only now launching Sky Cinema, which is <laughs> which is then basically saying, all right, so um, you're now going to get uh, dynamic range in the <laughs> soundtracks after how many years of HD broadcasting have they had? And uh, a slight improvement in terms of picture quality there so um i guess there's a lot of comment on the forums and i think quite rightly questioning you know just how good this picture quality is actually going to be is it going to be ultra hd 4k blu-ray standard picture quality well no it's not going to be that because we're not talking about the same kind of uh, you know bit rates and so on so is it going to be better than a normal blu-ray in terms of picture quality hmm, probably not either so 4k suddenly doesn't seem like such a, a, a great thing i mean obviously with the caveat is here that we haven't seen it and nobody's seen it yet and we don't know what it's going to be, but I'd be a bit worried, Steve. I don't know. I think given it's such a big deal and it's the new flagship thing, I'm sure they'll make a bit of an effort initially. I can't say they'll necessarily keep that effort up over the long term, but I imagine they'll do everything they can to make it look good when it launches. Is it being, how is it actually being delivered? Over, it all, it's over the air as far as I'm All aware. over the air. Yeah. It's not it's, altogether clear though. You know, they've not actually said. I think it's all going to be over the air, but it, it, it could be a mixture of IP and, uh, and broadcast. I think if it was IP, then there would definitely be something in the small print, which I know Ed's read. Which would sorry, say... no, no, I, I need to. Very, the reason <laughs> I flagged up the Formula One thing, it's not actually the Sky small print; it's the Formula One TV small. Oh, print. Bernie's. Right. Yeah, it's Bernie's small print. They are committed to the business of trying to broadcast. Um, uh, the actual race in 4K from 2017, but they make no guarantees about the ability to do so. So what you might end up with is Sky's pre-race coverage and post-race coverage in shiny, shiny 4K, but the moment that the um, Formula One TV motif kicks in, that might be 4K, 
but there's an equally large chance it won't be. Or and there's nothing nothing Sky can do about or, that. Or it'll be it's a mix the same of, feed yeah. that everyone gets. Yeah. It'll be a mix of, probably a mix of cameras as well, so you, you'll probably have upscaled content within that uh, broadcast, like on on car cameras and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's an awful um, lot of cameras to cover, isn't it? For, it for is. Every, so, so what you Yeah. So it might be in 4K, but some of these cameras will be upscaled, some of the feeds will be upscaled, and so on. Um, which you know, I would imagine the football is going to be the same because a lot of these slow motion cameras are not 4K ready, as far as I'm aware. I, I, I'm not aware of a Phantom being available in 4K at the minute. So, and that's what they use for these super slow mo shots and all the rest of it. So there's going to be a mix of material, but. I guess as an ex-subscriber to Sky, my main concern was the movie channels were absolutely terrible in terms of picture quality, in terms of the bit rates being, you know, anything with black on screen, it just turned into a blocky mess, or anything that was fast moving turned into a blocky mess. So I hope they have done something, uh, like Steve says, not just for the launch, but um, going forward with 4K, hopefully it'll look it'll look nice. 124 games, Premier League. you got to say BT will be a bit disappointed by that. But then BT's over IP, isn't it, Steve? So they can get away with a, a higher bit rate. They can. Um, it'll be, I mean, and also clearly BT have had a little bit longer now to uh, to set up their infrastructure and their workflows. So it'll be interesting to see when we actually start seeing genuine broadcasts from matches, how Sky measure up against BT, who've had longer to install more cameras, have more, I mean, they need things like um, 4K equipped outside broadcast trucks. So, you know, they, they've really worked hard at getting, I know this from being at their studios and being taken through it by the chief executive, exactly how they've set up their infrastructure and workflow for things like the Champions League coverage. It'll be interesting to see whether Sky are, you know, are as well equipped to start off with or whether it's going to be an awful lot of, as you just said, Phil, cutting between different resolution cameras uh, and how much of it's actually going to be in native 4K and how much is going to be upscaled. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do do. I mean, I'm just a bit, you know, as far as football goes, I, I couldn't really care less personally. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the movie stuff looks like because um, you said the um, the bit rates are going to be lower than Ultra HD Blu-ray. You're not going to be getting the um, you know the the full lossless audio with uh, with you know immersive audio soundtracks. No you're HDR. On disc now. No HDR. Uh, what what was, about 24p output? By the way, does, the, does anyone know if Skykeybox's output 24p? I don't know. I mean, that's one thing I think we're going to have to <laughs> we're going to have to have a closer look at. Yeah, what about HDR? Did they mention that at all in the press? No, no mention. No, there's no mention of it. I noticed uh, that the ITU has um, now um, you know, established. I think it's what they call it. Um, oh, is it Rec 2021? 2100. Yeah, 21. They've established Rec 2100, which is basically the standards for uh, Ultra HD HDR broadcast. So yeah. that's now in place. So that's there for Log Gamma. Yeah, which, which is what the BBC I, I technology wasn't it? So uh, it was BBC and I, NHK that worked on that one, NHK, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that, but that's clearly what they're looking at. At least the um, the sort of technical side of things with the institutes and the and the engineers are looking at using that for broadcast as a broadcast standard. Obviously, it's open source. There's no fees being paid to um, Dolby on this one. So um, it'd be interesting to see whether that is what what they use. Um, or whether they're still evaluating. I know BT said that last year they were evaluating different HDR. And they were looking at both, um, both Dolby Vision and also Log Gamma. So interesting to see what does happen there. Um, because yeah, you're right. If, if they're not using HDR, then, then clearly Ultra HD Blu-ray remains the, the dominant format. Yeah, you don't have to. Of, you don't have to panic, Steve. Bit rate. It's, <laughs> it's still it's still the best. Yeah, you, where's Spectre then? Why haven't they released that on Ultra HD Blu-ray? You'd think that would be a winner. You know, a no-brainer really, as far as releases go. Which is that Sky's paid a shitload of cash to have it on exclusive <laughs> well, for a bit. Well, there may be, but that would be the UK, right? But I would get the disc yeah. state, right? So, God, aren't you big and clever? Oh, Steve? It, I it, wish it I is, was yeah. like you. 
Our recent exchange rate issues have really hammered me as far as importing this from the States, guys. I mean, to be honest, I have to say, I am a, I am a Sky customer. I have been a Sky customer for some years. At the moment, we have a movie subscription. That was my wife's decision. I don't use it. Um, I can't really be bothered. Um, it's not a, it's not the, the selling point as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, obviously, if Sky Cinema is any better than, well, hooray. Uh, I'm sure she'll report back on that. Uh, I'm more interested. It would be of more interest to me. Uh, I mean, I've read the the blurb now. I mean, it, for me, the killer is going to be the amount of content I can sit down and watch of an evening. Films are not the draw for me in terms of possibly going for this service. Okay, you have just got the coins in their hands. Sorry, that was uh, me trying to move the cat. All right. <laughs> she rattle. Has the cat got some coins in its pocket? No, the cat is. <laughs> I am sat in one corner of, of the conservatory, and um, my wife's uh, taking some singing lessons is here, and the cat is standing partly on that, or was standing partly <laughs> on that, and partly on the corner of my keyboard. And I was doing my best to keep her away from the mic, because you bloody well would hear that. So the coins were, you know, a necessary sacrifice. I apologise to the people listening. I'm doing my best in difficult conditions. Steve, in terms of uh, obviously exchange rate and that, we have got a new government this week. I forgot to mention that at the top of the... It's not really that interesting, is it? But interesting to see that Boris is going to be our foreign secretary. And uh, yeah. did anybody see the uh, the US congressman when they... Couldn't keep a straight face. Couldn't keep a straight face. It's hilarious. Really to be honest, it's an... It, you know, I don't want to sort of burst any bubbles. It's a perfect place to put him. Um, in as much as... Uh, the there's a separate minister for the whole Brexit business, and pretty much since the Suez Crisis in 1956, the moment that something reaches the point where you might actually describe it as a diplomatic incident, as a matter of protocol, regardless of who is foreign secretary at the time, it generally switches back to the prime minister's office anyway. Foreign secretary is showbiz. Who better to put in there than a giant blonde child? It makes perfect sense. There is that. So anyway, Steve, um, it looks like, I mean, you're the ex-banker, so you can tell us otherwise, but it looks like the basically the FTSE's bounced back, the stock market's bounced back, and the pound, although it's it's low, it's it's starting to move upwards again. Yeah, I mean, what happens with these sort of things is there's always knee-jerk reaction. So people are expecting one thing, they get a different result. So we got a Brexit result. Immediate knee-jerk reaction, everyone sells the shit out of the pound. Eventually, it reaches a point where people start thinking, actually, you know what, that looks pretty cheap, that's a good buy. So people just start buying it again, and then it becomes a buying opportunity, and it goes back up. Obviously, the reason the pound rallied yesterday was because um, Carney didn't cut rates by another 25 basis points, um, because um, but he didn't know who was going to be Chancellor of the Exchequer at that point. So uh, he had, I think it was wise of him just to sit back and wait to see what happens. Um, and he's only got two more cuts left, basically. We're at 50 basis points, half a percent. Um, you know, he can cut twice and then we're at zero. After that, he's basically stuffed as far as economic policy goes. His monetary policy is limited. So, um, yes, it was, uh, it, we will see, uh, we're going to see a lot of fluctuations, um, obviously, because there's just so much uncertainty. Um, and just in terms of the mechanics of actually leaving the European Union, which I don't think anyone really thought would ever happen. So, Therefore, no, not it's not the very. Union. Yeah, exactly. So it isn't exactly a well-established, um, you know, workflow in terms of leaving. Plus, we'd have to gradually unpick forty years of legislation. Uh, just in terms of that alone, that's just a staggering amount of work. Um, I don't think anyone who actually thought about leaving really thought about the actual implications of it. <laughs> that was quite, that was quite obvious. <laughs> uh, so anyway, at least you learned something. Listen to the before this podcast, and we'll have this. Uh, We'll have this now and again. We'll, we'll call it the UHD Blu-ray Fund, Steve. <laughs> just, 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 just to make life more fun as well. The, the, the European Union is not a fixed entity in this instance. Keep an eye on um, Italy and Italy's banks. 
because that's um, looking ex increasingly exciting. And um, it all gets particularly interesting if, in the event of that going completely tits up, it was factored in that the UK would be contributing to the costs of bailout and restabilisation. Because if at that point the UK then goes, actually, do you know what? I think it's Article 50 time. Uh, it all gets very, very complicated and all gets very, very messy. So, yeah, there's, you know, never a dull moment and all that. So, yeah, great. Right. So, uh, getting back to <laughs> Sky, <laughs> Sky 4K. <laughs> Um, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, of course, it does affect uh, EV Forums members and listeners because uh, we, like Steve, like to import stuff now and again. And uh, a lot of the consumer electronics, Ed, come from not the European Union, but, uh, you know, they, they come in. Well, almost everything all, is priced in dollars, almost regardless of where it comes from. So it could um, be actually... Yeah, it has a massive effect. <laughs> it, could, it could be good for the British manufacturers in terms of, you know, the, the, the manufacturers that do uh, export. It could be good for them with the pound being where it is at the minute. Mm. Could drum up some business, could get the economy uh, taken over. Um, but then in terms of actually important stuff, we could see that gear is going to be quite a bit more expensive yes. unless um, unless the UK subsidiary you know uh, takes that cost you know and uh, subsidizes it well it's it's all complicated in as much as even when something's built in the UK it's very rarely built out of uh, components which are entirely made in the UK themselves yeah. so you've still got dollar based costs for the importing of of, of, of components uh, we've seen some pretty exciting raw material price jumps as well uh, I mean silver that's not such a big deal for normal audio equipment it's only lunatics that generally use it but that's had a 50 percent jump in a not too long space of time so yeah it's uh, if you're going to buy something my gut feeling would be to to go off and, and buy it um don't don't wait necessarily because even if the euro tanks on the italian stuff i was just talking about as i say most of the stuff is priced in dollars and that's a bit of a different undertaking altogether so yeah don't um don't automatically assume that something's going to get better. If you've got the means and uh, and, and sensible, you know, uh, risk-free method of purchasing it, something that you were looking at buying, I'd, I'd go for it sooner rather than later. I yes, have so to say, I mean, I've stopped buying. I've, unlike you, Steve, I've just, I mean, obviously records are my thing. I've just, just switched solely to UK sellers for the immediate for the immediate future because the price of stuff that's euros and dollars it's like oh my god so i'm just leaving that well alone but obviously i i do have a bit more flexibility about where my stuff comes from than you yes all those people that have been perpetually moaning about the pricing of uk products against uh, things available in the us the same thing available in the us um it's about to get a lot worse <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> And, and, and then, it's just explain why. Everything is priced in dollars. So clearly, if you're buying something in the US where the, the, the currency is dollars, it's going to be cheaper. That's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, it's going to get a lot, lot worse now for us, unfortunately. So if you voted leave, well done. Get it all out of your system. I think we should move on to the acceptance stage now and simply make the best of a bad job. <laughs> yes, and let's get back on subject. So, uh, right, let's move things on. Sony... HW45ES, um, like Ed was saying, if you can afford to buy something, uh, buy it now. I would buy this projector in a heartbeat. I've had it for two weeks now. I can't get over the quality. It is absolutely stonking. It's a £2,000 projector. Um, it is so accurate out of the box. And I mean accurate. At one point I spoke to Steve and I thought, no, this, this sample's... Uh, <laughs> rigged basically didn't we? It, it was so suspiciously accurate but we did a full factory reset on it 
um, and measured it again and measured different modes and so on. And yeah, it's it's just been set up to be accurate out of the box. Now, when I say accurate, I don't mean like absolutely bang on accurate. But certainly Delta errors were under two for the grayscale. Um, color gamut hit 709, but slightly outside 709. But obviously they do that with a bulb projector because if you set it wider and then as the bulb ages and as, as it dims and as it changes, um, obviously that restricts that restriction comes in so the the build that in at the start so it over its lifetime it remains as accurate as it can be um it has motion flow it has um lots of the the new features that that are on there it's got that true cinema mode so black frame insertion if you need that um, it's super sharp really nice lens on it i mean it's a plastic lens obviously at the price point but sharp across the screen and uh, i think the biggest thing for me was color accuracy and black levels it is extremely good in not quite a bat cave surrounding. So just with a little bit of ambient light, so say you've got the curtains closed and you've got light color walls and so on, that's where this projector really comes into its own. I was blown away with just how good the black levels were. And again, it wasn't clipping black as well. So plenty of shadow detail in there. So for 2000 pounds, absolute bargain, I think. Um, so go and buy one if you're looking for a projector because uh, even with the new Epsons coming in, they're still more expensive than that, even though they're going to have that Fox um, 4K mode in, in there like JVC. Um, in terms of a projector, and the price is going to drop quite quickly, you, I, I'd be surprised if you go online, you'll probably pick it up for about 1600 £1,800. Pounds. Big bargain. Really. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the 40 was good, the 45. Yeah, 40 was amazing even last, better. last yeah. year. Um, so the black levels on Sony's, I mean, I haven't seen this latest generation um I was more. They've imp- been getting. They've been getting better, haven't they? Better and better each year. Yeah, I was more impressed with the forty-five than the sixty-five. Interesting. The sixty-five was really good, a really good projector, but um, I wasn't as blown away. I, I think I, a lot of it, again is um, obviously there's you know that what the price point is, so you're more forgiven. But even saying that, um, I, I'd I'd say the blacks were slightly better on the forty-five for whatever reason. Um, and that's without any dynamic iris. That's yeah, there's, well, there's no helps. there's no dynamic iris on the on the forty five. There is on the sixty five, but not the forty five. So again, that, that's the only thing it doesn't have, though. I mean, it has everything else on there. Um, like I say, it has a reality creation tool. Um, it has motion flow, and um, it has everything else in terms of CMS and uh, uh, you know white balance controls and all that kind of thing. So it has everything else in there and gamma proper gamma tool and. First Sony projector I've seen for a while where the gamma actually behaves itself without having to use the the gamma tool uh, that professional calibrators have access to. Um, it tracked really well at 2.4, so really really impressed with this projector. And like I say, it was so good I was I was questioning the sample at one point. So if you're in the market for a 1080p projector and you don't want one that can accept um, a 4K signal or anything like that, doesn't need the kind of um, you know pseudo 4K yeah, well, it, emulation, it then this is the one for you. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't accept 4K. Um, no. It doesn't do HDCP, so it, it, it won't accept it and downscale it or anything like that. It just won't accept it. So it, no, it won't do that. And it is, like you say, 1080p. Um, but if that's what you're looking for and you're looking for a big screen, image that is really cinematic i mean it looks fantastic it really does look good um and that's not in a bat cave as well and that you know that's with some ambient light and um uh yeah really really impressed with it put it in a bat cave you then start to see obviously the black levels 
don't look as good because you're obviously lowering the light floor, you're lowering the black floor, so you do notice the black levels do lighten up basically in that environment. But use it use it in a normal living room or a normal cinema room where you you've got maybe grey walls, white ceiling, you can shut the curtains to black it out as much as possible. Um, ideal surroundings and uh, yeah, a big bargain. So that review should be up next week. Uh, right, so let's move from projectors um, and let's go to Nintendo because um, I don't know what it is with the 90s at the minute, but there's a lot of 90s things coming back. Um, bit of a nostalgia for the night. And Nintendo, uh, their shares have gone up 50% on this Pokemon Go, um, which seems to be everywhere at the minute. Um, it's lit up Twitter and um, even the mainstream news is now covering this thing. So it's been pretty big for them, Mr. Bot, right? Who'd have thought that putting uh, a, a great IP on a platform that you know hundreds of millions of people own might actually make some money? Um, Nintendo's shares shot up over fifty percent, and this was actually before I think before it came out in the UK, which was on Thursday. So that's going to be another kind of big market for them. Um, pushed Nintendo's overall value to over twenty-five billion pounds. Um, it's interesting in as much as um, it's not actually developed by Nintendo. You know, they've got more of a focus now on kind of partnerships, licensing, and kind of branching out with IP. And so they've got ideas about um, theme park and um, films and things like that. So I think you're going to see a lot more kind of Nintendo licensed products in shops and things like that. Um, they've also got a little kind of NES Mini coming out. I have is, to say, that looks absolutely brilliant. It looks fantastic. Do you know what? I saw that yesterday, and I saw that the, the US price, and the fact that it has the games, I think it's everything up to 1994, wasn't it? Or 1995? So every every game before that. It's only 30 games, didn't it? I thought it was yeah, only 30 games. Yeah, it's 30 games, but they're all retro games. I saw that, and I thought, hmm, I might go and buy one of them. No, 30, 30 of, and it looks like 30 of the best games as well. They've, yeah. they've really packed that out. It was the kind of thing where they could have done it a bit more cynically. It could have been something where you would have to download the better games for or something like that. But no, they've just packed on absolute classics. Yeah, there's someone and, online did did the calculations, Mark, and they went through the games that are going to be available and then went through the obviously the Nintendo store and priced them all up for how it would be if you wanted to go and get all those games. You'd still have to buy a console. So a Wii U console on top of that. So I think it was something like $400 to get everything on board that's going to be on this little box. It's going to cost, I think it's $79, $80 in the US. Oh, it's $59.99. Yeah. Oh, so it's even in cheaper pounds. in pounds. Yeah. yeah, so it's about $80. Then. And one of the great selling points also will be the quality of the controller. Bear that in mind. Like For people who go down the emulation route, trying to find a good quality NES kind of facsimile it yeah. is quite tough um and the same goes with you know people of uh, like um the the super nintendo um officially licensed wii controller you know was kind of sold out quite quickly and stuff like that so this yeah looks absolutely great and you know back to pokemon go it's it's all kind of part of this new stratified approach of making the most of what they've got in their arsenal. They've, they're sitting on huge amounts of games. They're sitting on huge kind of IP. And so they're, they're kind of partnering up with people and then they're, they're making the most of it. And this, you know, augmented reality games do seem to fit with um, mobile phone gaming. It, it's a really kind of smart take on it that they haven't just 
gone with making a like a Pokemon light or something like that. You know, something that was too close, had too much of an overlap with what was already selling on their own handheld consoles. So instead, they've gone with something that is specifically tailored to um, to smartphones. So you know, it's it's not something you can just download on your tablet or something like that. It's it's made for you to take it outside for it to be social. Um, yeah, and, and uh, they're already talking about the um, ads sponsored locations in games so add that to the kind of in-app purchases and stuff like that um the the interesting thing will be how long it it stays towards the top of the charts because it's shot straight in top of iphone and android stores and it's uh more than 10 million daily users so it's it's hugely popular right now but if you look at what happened with their own little kind of mitomo um social app that kind of dropped off quite sharply some people are already saying this might do the same because there are a hell of a lot of people who are just kind of downloading it for the sake of just seeing what it is you know it's a fad it's something that everyone's doing so everyone then wants to have an opinion on it but yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see this actually keep a lot more of its daily users and then going into towards autumn you'll see um animal crossing and fire emblem kind of games apps come out so yeah it, it very much seems like it's it, it was a smart decision to go mobile i see the metro, I metro's done. already got the headline that two people have fallen off a cliff while playing pokemon go yeah and then yeah. another another one another uh uh person of an indeterminate age but thought to be young has managed to discover a body floating in a river in new hampshire whilst looking for pokemon um i did have my neighbor's kids knock on the door yesterday and tell me that i had a something in my back garden um, could they go and get it? <laughs> Knock yourself out. So um, I look forward to more of that. Yeah, of course. Unless, that, that unless is... it's a Pikachu, I understand. If I've got one of those, I could probably charge someone for it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. of course, there is the darker side of this, and there has been a, a few instances in the states where people have been luring luring people in, in rough neighbourhoods and then robbing them. So, yeah. Well, yes, careful. but there, there, there is no 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 guarantee against human stupidity. I'm afraid, so you know that's that's that is an occupational hazard, isn't it? Um, but uh, the other, I mean, I have to say, in terms of Nintendo's IP that I want released, I is there any way, Mark? You might know this. Is there any way of uh, playing Motocross Maniacs without actually resurrecting an original Game Boy? Uh, well, um, you can obviously go down the emulation route, right? That sounds yeah. a bit complicated. I mean, I say I just that that I lost a lot of time to that game as a kid. I'd love to. I'd love to have another go at that. It was you got a Fire TV, Ed. Got a Fire TV stick. Yeah, I imagine you can get an, you can download an emulator for that, and it'll work. Oh, okay. I'll have a look. <laughs> Goodbye, work. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that, um, and it's getting close to the end of the month as well. So maybe save it to the beginning of next month. We'll Ed. Uh, right. So let's move on to the future, or is it the future? OLED. We've been pro- well. Actually, I'm going to put all this on Steve. Steve's been proclaiming it. OLED is the future of TV. He even had that phrase plastered all over train stations and subways and all sorts. Um, so, is it still the future of TV, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was definitely the future of TV until the future of TV changed. Whether it remains the future of TV is interesting because there's absolutely no question in my mind that in terms of standard dynamic range content, um, OLED looks superior to any other technology. Um, this E6 that I've just reviewed, 65-inch um, E6, uh, looks absolutely stellar when you're watching um, standard dynamic range content. So basically, you know, normal TV, DVD, Blu-ray, etc. It looks fantastic. 
whether it's going to be as effective with high dynamic range content uh, is another matter entirely because definitely um, when I've used, I've watched the same films in HDR on OLED TVs, and I've seen two so far, the, the C6 and the E6, it hasn't been as impressive or as impactful as I felt it was watching them on some of the better LED LCD televisions, particularly the, you know, the ones with the direct LED backlights. They, they've just had more overall impact and, and certainly the, the specular highlights, the little peaks of brightness peaks have been, have been more, you know, a bit more re- resonant in terms of watching the content. Obviously, the, the black levels on the on the OLEDs are fantastic, and that's the argument that LG will make. Well, dynamic range is the difference between black and white, and if you've got deep blacks, you've got a wide dynamic range. But um, you know, the black levels are pretty good on uh, on the on the LED LCDs, particularly when they've got local dimming. Um, so really, that argument doesn't hold water as well as I think it, they they like you to think it. Can doesn't. we just um, um, obviously at this point, Steve, also just say to people that you actually have these technologies side by side, so you, yes, you're not going on memory. You've actually got a oh. 9500 from Samsung um, in at the minute, which is a you're going to have that for a few months to to keep that to to test against other screens. So we can actually do side by sides here, and that's what you've done. Yes, exactly. And, you know, so my feeling is with standard dynamic range content, OLED is the better option. With high dynamic range content, I think, personally think from, from comparing and watching the same scenes in films that that uh, I get, I get a, I just get a, a feeling more of a greater impact and, and a more exciting dynamic uh, image from the LED LCD televisions. Also, and this is something that I picked up on with the C6, and it's the same with the E6. Although the, I will say one thing, the E6 is brighter. So it's capable of, um, on a 10% window, it could deliver 640 nits, whereas the uh, C6 was only delivering about 540, 550 nits, which is the 540 being the, the minimum for Ultra HD premium certification for an OLED television. So it is brighter, no question about that. And clearly... Uh, OLED because it's uh, you know it's individual pixels being self-illuminating. It, it can be more precise in terms of its uh, specular highlights. So those those two things are good um, as far as the E6 goes. But I just feel like the image had had more impact when watching it. The same content on on the LED LCD TVs on the nine five hundred, the um, Samsung. Also and again as with the C6, with HDR ten content. So watching the same scene um, on Dolby Vision because I've got uh, basically some clips of pa- the film Pan. Watching those clips in Dolby Vision on the um, on the E6, and then watching exactly the same clips from the Ultra HD Blu-ray of Pan, it clips the HDR10 content. And I've got some photographs that are going to be in the review, so you can actually see there's a shot with a sun setting over a mountain, and the, there should be a circle of the sun defined within the glow, and that just isn't there on the HDR10 content. And obviously, that's also um, backed up by using test patterns. I can see it's clipping. And if, so, you, if you look at the same clip on the Samsung KS9500... You can see the, 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 exactly the same. The, 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 the 9500, same scene is identical, basically, or you know, damn it, to the Dolby Vision version of that same scene with the defined sun within the glow, um, the defined circle of the sun. So that's that's definitely the E6 clipping the content. It's not the content itself. So I can make that quite clear. Uh, so it, what it does mean, basically, is that, yes, it's a fantastic TV. I mean, you know, if you want to go through the plus points, it looks absolutely stunning. Amazing piece of industrial design. I love the look of the E6. It's got great features. It's got passive 3D. It's got WebOS. Um, it supports Dolby Vision and HDR10. Um, it's got a very accurate picture out of the box. It can be referenced after calibration. So all good. Um, I just think that where OLED's going to struggle is if we're moving into a, a new future, basically. I guess you could say, yes, it was the... The future of television, and then the future one unchanged. 
So we've gone from standard dynamic range to high dynamic range. We're talking about, you know, zero to a thousand at least, maybe four thousand. And you know, talkers all vision are talking about ten thousand nits at some point in the future. We're talking about wider color spaces. I think that OLED might struggle to keep up with that. I mean, you, you know, clearly the LG are already driving the panels as hard as they can to get them as bright as they are already. And, and uh, to be congratulated for taking the technology as fast as as far as they have done, as fast as they have done. But whether it's going to be able to keep up with what is now a very different television you know, universe uh, is the big question. And uh, it's a question I don't know the answer to. Well, what, what we just don't know yet are things like, you know, how long, you know, what's the lifespan of these panels going to be now they're being driven much harder? Um, you know, will we have more issues with image retention and, and burn if you're driving them hard? Um, all these sort of things that were never really issues before have now become issues. And so is it still the technology of the future? I don't know is the honest answer, but I have my doubts. So you've spent years moaning that people aren't bringing <laughs> OLED quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's here, we're saying... I don't really want it. Well, I, th I think the goalposts <laughs> the goalposts have been changed so dramatically in the last couple of years that um, it's going to take at least a couple of years for LG to to try and move that on. And and again, they've just gotten to the stage now where they can mass produce these panels at a point where it doesn't cost the earth to buy them for the consumer. You know, the development costs again on top of that again to get OLED brighter without diminishing the life of the panel because there's, there's going to be some. Uh, questions raised on you know lifespan because the, these panels haven't been in the market that long to begin with anyway. I mean the first OLED TV that was commercially available is still less than five years. So you know these TVs there's still no long-term usage um, data really in terms of how long the lifespan is. And if they keep you know pushing the panels, Steve, and pushing it and pushing it, it's going to have some kind of detrimental effect on the lifespan. Yeah, I mean, and obviously what they're doing, you know, yes, the panel can hit um, 640 nits on a 10% window. But, you know, once you get up to a larger window than that, you know, obviously the APL kicks in and it's much, much lower. So yeah. that's one of the reasons why the image doesn't have quite the same impact as, uh, as basically, if you watch HDR content, if you watch the Blu-ray and the Ultra HD Blu-ray, so you play, put them onto the E6 at the same time and flip between the two, there isn't that much difference in terms of the, uh, um, in terms of the, punch in the dynamic you know impact of the image between the two i mean both look good but both look quite similar whereas if you do that with an lcd tv there is a big difference between the two um so yeah yeah it's it's interesting that um that you're like you say phil the goalposts have significantly moved in the last year um and because of that you know lgr to a certain extent are going to have to start playing catch up um an, an led lcd has an inherent advantage in terms of it, it can just go brighter much easier uh, we need to just you know i mean they've already gone from what would you say the average was two years ago maybe maybe a 500 nits peak brightness on, I, a, on I an lcd it, television yeah i think that now would, we're well that over been, a thousand yeah, yeah so interesting times interesting to see how lg are going to move that on and um you know how they're going to compete with that but i guess you know what we're talking about here is side by side as well so in isolation steve if someone's gone out and bought an, an OLED, then, then they're not going to notice the difference, are they? Because I think they're going to be very happy with the picture. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you, uh, the 65 E6, it's 4999 so it's just under five grand. It's a lot of money, but you're getting a hell of a lot of TV for that. And for, for most of the content you're going to be watching for the next few years anyway. Yeah, 99.99999% of the content. Even with the, even with the news we talked about this morning from, um, um, sorry, we talked about earlier from uh, Sky, um, you know, as you said, Phil, they didn't mention HDR in there. So, I mean, if you're just talking about um, 4K, 
broadcasting. Obviously, it's a native 4K panel, so that's not an issue. Um, you can do up. To, you can do 96% DCI-P3, so it's got a very wide uh, color, native color gamut, so no issues there. 10-bit panel, so there's no issues there. It's really just the, the HDR aspect where perhaps OLED is a disadvantage to LED LCD. So uh, that's the latest LG OLED. We've had a look at the E6. I guess this is the, the sweet spot of the range, isn't it, Steve? This is the one that most people are going to be interested in. The G6 is basically this TV, but it's got a nicer soundbar on the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the range, G6, I mean, it's the flagship is a signature you know, signature TV, but it's basically just the same as the E6, but with more bling. Uh, and it is quite pricey. Uh, and there's only two screen sizes for that too, 65 and, and 75 or 77 inches, which is a whopping 25 grand. So really, if you're looking for flat screen OLED with 3D, then it's the E6. And you can get the 55-inch the for 3499, which I think is actually a really good price for what you're getting. Um, and if you don't, if you're not interested in 3D, then go for the B6 um, if you want a flat screen. And you can get the um, the 55 inch for basically 500 quid less than um, than the E6. So you drop, you know, you lose the 3D, but you know, you save yourself 500 quid. But I, I think, you know, if I was going to buy one of these OLED TVs, I, I would definitely be going for the E6. You're right, it's a sweet spot. You get, you've got the looks, it's got all the features, flat screen and 3D and everything else. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely stonking telly. And it even has the partner uh, seal of approval. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when it arrived last week and I set it up, uh, Laura walked in and went, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> she, she thought it was lovely, yeah. She thought it was really, really stunning. And it is. I, I do honestly you know, think that it is a gorgeous piece of design. I think it's, I think quite possibly the best-looking TV I've ever had for review. I think it's gorgeous. And yet you've got the designer TV, which has come from <laughs> Design House and all the rest of it, and uh, that, that, that got uh, short shift. Did not get the same seal, no. Um, well, I mean, design is, is subjective, isn't it? Um, it's very much a, per, man, a, a degree of personal preference. And uh, I really, really like the, uh, both of them, interestingly, have, you know, the E6 has this built-in soundbar. And obviously one of the big selling points of the uh, DX802 from Panasonic is that it, it has a soundbar as well, um, which you can uh, move around and, and everything. It's, uh, it's actually a proper soundbar. Um, so audio-wise, they do sound better. Um, than um, a regular uh, ultra thin TV, but the sort of the DX eight hundred two has got its kind of um, easel frame, not dissimilar in some respects to the uh, a couple of the models from Samsung and I think Sony a couple of years ago um, did something similar. Yeah, it's been designed by an Italian design company, and it is. Uh, I think it probably will be a bit marmite for some people. Either you either love it or you hate it. Uh, okay. Um, so there you go. Okay, and that one's coming next week as well. So uh, that wraps up hardware. We're going to move very quickly over to movie reviews. Right, Steve, what's at the cinema? The cinema, Ghostbusters. The uh, I was reboot, reimagining, all-female cast reboot of Ghostbusters, which I've got to say uh, got a lot of stick when it was first announced, and particularly when the first trailer came out, because... I don't know. I, I there was a lot of a very unreasonable hatred being directed at it. I think primarily because people were going like, "Why has it got an all-female cast? It doesn't look very funny. It's going to be crap." Blah blah blah. Actually, you know what? It's actually really good fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it when I saw it at the cinema this week. Um, I think the cast's excellent. Although, in fairness, uh, Kristen Wiig and, and Melissa McCarthy are kind of playing what they usually play um, in terms of their characters, but but they both do it very well. They're both very funny ladies. I thought that uh, for me, the absolute standout star is Kate McKinnon, who, who is um, not someone I'm familiar with, but she's actually one of the stars of Saturday Night um, Live on on, uh, on US TV. 
uh, and she's fantastic in it as one of the Ghostbusters. And then uh, the, probably for me, the character that probably doesn't stand up as well is, is although she's got a much bigger role than Winston had in the original Ghostbusters, um, uh, there's, there's basically the, sort of the loud, shouty, big black female character it seems a bit sort of stereotypical to me. But um, otherwise, I think that the unit works quite well. The interplay between the four women is very good. The jokes come thick and fast and they are really funny. Um, I like the effects, I like the way the ghosts are done. It's done in a very exaggerated way, almost cartoony way, but that's quite deliberate. It is quite scary in places, uh, but it's quite good fun. And uh, probably the standout laugh for me is, is definitely um, is Chris Hemsworth as the really stupid receptionist. Uh, he, he absolutely has no trouble making, taking the mickey out of himself, does it really well. Uh, he's really funny. There's cameos throughout it from original cast members. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great fun film uh, and it really works. And it's not perfect. It has got issues. Um, some of the plot doesn't make a great deal of sense when you think about it afterwards. But if you're just going to go in for, you know, for two hours of fun uh, and then just laugh and have, you know, turn your brain off as you go in the cinema and have a, have a good time, you will. Uh, it much, is great much fun. Like, much like uh, the original. I think the originals, it, it's held on too high a pedestal for me, to be honest, the, the original Ghostbusters. It was a good film. It was a fun film. But a lot of the ne the negatives you're saying there just relate perfectly to the original film as well. So, you know, good fun, quite funny, some 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 good actors, some good chemistry, and it's a bit of fun. And don't think about it too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I actually say the new Ghostbusters is a lot funnier than the original. There's a lot more jokes in this because um, if you actually watch the original, it's it's not that funny actually. I mean, it's got some laughs, most of which relate to Bill Murray. Um, but this, I, th I think this that in the, as, as a gag ratio is much higher on the re on the reboot or remake, or if you want to call it. It doesn't deserve the hatred it was getting before um, before it was released. And I think generally the reviews have been good. So I, I think most people agree that it's um, that it's certainly a lot a lot better than perhaps we were worried it was going to be. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean Paul Figg is a good director. He knows how to do comedy, uh, and and I think this delivers in that sense. I mean, you know, if it wasn't funny, it would have issues, but it is funny. There are jokes in there. You will laugh out loud. Um, Mr. Potright, is uh, is this likely to be a bit too scary for you? Because I, I know you you don't really like your scary movies and your scary games. No, I I think somehow I'll I'll somehow manage to get through Ghostbusters. Uh, okay, I, I just just wanted to check there because I, I know how sensitive you are. I, yeah, I was going to say I'm not that much of a wuss, but yeah, there was still an episode of the Waltons. I've mentioned it before; it still scares <laughs> me. But uh, uh, we won't go into that. Uh, right, so that's uh, that's Ghostbusters. That uh, is at the cinema um, last week. It will still be there this weekend. Uh, but films coming out this Friday, Steve. Um, yeah. Looks like uh, might be a couple of big turkeys. Well, yeah, I mean we've got Star Trek Beyond opening which I have to say, based upon the trailers, and again, obviously, Ghostbusters has proved you can't necessarily tell what a film's going to be like from the trailer, but I think it looks rubbish in the trailers. Um, and in fact, the funny stuff, the film it makes me think of the most when I see the trailers is Star Trek V. It, it, for some reason, it's got this Star Trek V uh, vibe about it, which is not a good sign, because that was not a good film. Um, it's been written by Simon Pegg, I don't know if it was the best choice to write a Star Trek movie. Well, well is, 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 isn't, that funny? isn't that funny? Because Peg's written this one and Five was written by Will uh, Shatner, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not a good sign. Uh, yeah, it, do, it does. For, for me personally, watching the trailers, it does absolutely nothing. I will go and see it, but it doesn't. It's not something I'm thinking like, oh, I really want to see this film. This looks amazing. Um, so there, I think, yeah, and, and it's not as though Star Trek movies have been making tons of money. They've done okay. 
but they haven't been stellar performers. Uh, so I think there's a lot riding on this. If it doesn't do very well, we could that, that could be the end of it as far as the movies go. I mean, I've got the new TV series anyway coming out, so we'll see how it plays. But I could be completely wrong. Maybe the trailer's just misleading because, I mean, I remember thinking Paddington looked crap when I saw the trailer for that, but I absolutely loved the film when I saw it. So, But for me personally, it's not selling it very well at the moment, but I will go and see it in final moments. Like the other big film opening this Friday is the BFG, Big Friendly Giant, which is the new Spielberg film based upon the book by Roald Dahl. Um, actually, I prefer the look of this, but I think it's going to really struggle to sell in the States where I don't think Roald Dahl is that well known. Um, and people are going to think that the F stands for something other than friendly, I suspect. Um, so, again, it, this is going to be interesting. I mean, these are two relatively large budget movies, you know, big releases. And I think they might struggle, um, you know, both in terms of um, the marketplace generally and in terms of their specific uh, target audiences. Because obviously Star Trek's aimed at Star, Star Trek fans and BFG's aimed at kids. Um, in the States, Finding Dory is still very strong. That's, that's opened massively over there. It's made over 400 million already. So BFG could struggle against um, Finding Dory. And um, Star Trek Beyond could just struggle generally, I think, because it just doesn't look very good. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, Star Trek, on based on the trailers, not doing it for me. And I, I, again, I, I don't really feel like I need to go to the cinema to see this. I could probably wait on the Blu-ray. Uh, anybody else? My, my wife's off to see it. Um, but I think that's because she likes Zachary Quinto. Um, <laughs> I know she's barking up the wrong tree there. She knows she's barking up the wrong tree there. But I can't get that excited about it. I think the next, if I drag myself to the cinema anytime soon, I'll probably give the Bourne film a go. But neither of these. BFG, um, the BFG is a very, uh, Roald Dahl books do not necessarily translate desperately well you know some some novelists were it's almost like they had one eye on a screenplay Roald Dahl was not one of those I no. it's, a, it's a it's a difficult medium to turn into film always has been always will be it's not also I tend to think of Roald Dahl's words are almost as, as synonymous with the the illustrations of his books as well Quentin Blake yeah. yeah and so therefore it, it just seems strange seeing just a, a different version of that it, it feels that the two are intrinsically tied together i think in terms of technology the the actual animation of the giant um by mark rylance you know he's doing the motion capture that looks amazing i mean the technology itself is incredible whether it will translate to being an interesting story as you said Ed, it's not they're not always the most the most easy translatable to another medium uh, although i do love the original um Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, because that film basically hated kids. <laughs> so so it worked really well in that sense, because it is the most trippy, scary. The sequence where they go through the tunnel, um, and it, that is a trippy, genuinely disturbing sequence in a film which clearly has no no time at all for children, which is ironic given the source material. <laughs> but as I say, I mean, it, it's uh, it's one of my one of my childhood cornerstone books. I, I won't be rushing out to it, and my son's a bit young to get interested in is, that yet. Is it, so. is it still relevant, uh, Hodge? Yeah, your kids? it absolutely is. They, both my kids have done a whole term on Roald Dahl. They've both read the BFG and they're both very keen to see it. So I can only speak for my children, but they're, they're well up for it. I would say, Therefore, Phil, the, o- the only Roald Dahl book for children, I stress, which is a little bit odd now, it, it doesn't necessarily sit particularly well in the 21st century, is Danny the Champion of the World. Almost everything else actually is pretty timeless, and mm. you know, quite weren't well. the weren't the Oompa Loompas though in in the book weren't they some kind of weren't they like little Africans or something? Little piggies, probably, weren't they? Yeah, little, yeah. yeah that, that's a bit touch and go. <laughs> 
well, yeah, but they've been successfully turned into people from Essex, so you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah, well, the fake tan's definitely there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's orange <laughs> and heavy know, makeup. I think the BFG is going to be worth seeing, if only because it's Steven Spielberg. And let's be honest, he, you know, he's usually good. And it was the last screenplay written by Melissa Matheson. Yeah, but when was Spielberg too. actually really good? Um, you see, stumped you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I'd say '93 was probably the last time he was. Yeah, no, really I good. think Munich's good. I like Munich. Ah, it's, it's still dark and. But he's done. Yeah, since since he'd made um, since he made Schindler's List, he's. He's, he has gone very dark, hasn't yeah. he? I'd, I'd say Jurassic Park was the last sort of feel-good fantasy type thing that he, he actually produced. So it'll be interesting to see how how the BFG goes down. Is it going to have a dark undertone? Is it going to be dark? <laughs> yeah, well, he did so well with Tintin, did he? Yeah, that was just that was that suffered from Polar Express syndrome. It just looked freaky. It's hard to concentrate on the actual quality of nature of the film when it just looks so bloody unsettling. Uncanny Valley, I think it's called. You can call it what you like. It looks wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's move on swiftly because time is catching up with us once again. Blu-ray releases this week, Steve. Yeah, first of all, we've got The Witch, which is um, a horror film set in um, America in the 17th century with a family dealing with, as the title might suggest, a witch. Apparently it's very unnerving and scary, but I have not personally seen it. Uh, we've got London Has Fallen, which I do have on disc. have not watched yet. Um, apparently it's absolute crap. The only reason I've got it is because it's got DTSX soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you, looking forward to that one. <laughs> every week, every week, Steve, you just prove the theory right that we will buy up absolute crap if it's got a massive soundtrack or it's in UHD. <laughs> uh, and also out this week is uh, Ben Wheatley's film adaptation of the novel by J.G. Ballard, High Rise, which I have seen. Uh, and is a, as you might expect from the source material, a very strange film. Um, you know, it's, it's clearly an allegory about, about society and, and the class structure set within a high-rise building. Um, and it works to a degree, and it is quite funny at times, but um, it, it, is a, it, it does deteriorate into a very strange film towards the end, um, starring Tom Hiddleston. But um, if you like J.G. Ballard or Tom Hiddleston or um, Ben Wheatley, for that matter, then it's worth checking out. But it, I will warn you in advance, it's a strange movie. To be fair, if you're... Um, uh looking at something and it's got the word you know, influenced by, written by, adapted from J.G. Ballard, with the honourable exception of Empire of the Sun, it's always weird. Well, the Empire of the Sun is not autobiographical, isn't it? So it's, yeah. Um, and even, even for the Empire of the Sun, you know, have you watched it recently? I mean, for a Spielberg film, talking about him being dark, that's got the darkest ending I've ever seen in anything, where, where he finally meets his parents again, but he's just dead in the eyes. That kid's gone because um, of his experiences through the course of the film, it's actually quite a chilling ending um, to to what is sensibly, you know, a, well, not necessarily a kid's film, but, you know, a World War II film aimed at children. But it's, uh, yeah, it's very, very dark at the end. And on that happy note... <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so Ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, how are we? Where are we? Any more news? Not much news, but this week we have... Um, Batman vs Superman coming out, um, the extended cut, all three hours of it, which means it's going to be a triple layer disc, which will be interesting to see how that works out. And there are rumours, there are rumours going around now that um, Disney are about to enter the Ultra HD 4K Blu-ray market, um, well, certainly before the end of the year, which would be good news, and that their first one of their first titles might be Finding Dory, um, which is currently the cinema, but obviously will be hitting disc towards the end of the year before Christmas. So... 
hopefully we'll see Disney get on board because they are the only major studio now that isn't involved or hasn't even really said anything regarding Ultra HD Blu-ray so far. Um, and given that they own Marvel, Pixar, um, Lucasfilm, you know, and Disney themselves, obviously, um, it would be good to see them get on board. I don't know. I think in the absence of them doing, with Disney, surely now we just basically have to accept they aren't doing anything until such time as someone in a suit stands up and says we are. They are, clearly aren't going to be rushed about it. They clearly don't seem to be considering it to be absolutely critical to their wider set of business proposals. So I think hanging on their every word week in, week out is completely irrelevant. They don't, they, they, if they do have a timetable for it, they're not sharing and they'll do it when they see fit. Seems fair. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> right, Star Wars news. We haven't had Star Wars news for a while. Um, episode 8 is wrapped up and uh, we're expecting the Rogue One trailer uh, coming. No, we hoped it was going to be before the podcast recording, but um, Star Wars Celebration only kicks off today. Is that right, yeah, Steve? Yeah, very so, inconveniently. So, um, <laughs> today until Sunday. Yeah, so it's going to appear at some point over the weekend. Um, you've probably seen it already by the time you listen to this podcast. So we can't even talk about it because we haven't seen it yet. Um so I guess I could pose a question, um, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Vader do with Ben's lightsaber at the end of Star Wars? And it's Star Wars, not A New Hope. Oh, we'll never call it A New Hope. Star Wars. You know, when he puts his lightsaber through him and Ben disappears and his cloak and his lightsaber fall to the, fall to the ground, what did Vader do with it? I think there's two options here. One, he put it on eBay. Or two, he stripped it down for spare parts for his lightsaber. I reckon that's what he did. But... Um, but I think the eBay option is probably the best one. I think you'll probably find it under, you know, <laughs> lightsabers for sale. This is the the one that Ben is using in Star Wars. Isn't that Vader's? That's not Vader's old one, is it? Because no, that was the one given to Luke, which then goes AWOL when he has his hand cut off. Spoilers. And then turn, and turns up again, <laughs> and, and turns up again in, in Force Awakens somehow. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody, nobody's mentioned Ben's lightsaber at all after the end of that film. It never appears again. It's Are you ne- sure in one of the 800 appallingly written canonological novels that appear to exist for people of a certain bent, I'm sure that someone's written about it somewhere and, ca- and done some massively you know, elaborate and complicated uh, backstory to where it's gone? I reckon he'd have kept them. All all Jedi's killed. No, I think he keeps them like a serial killer. Isn't that what General Grievous actually did do? He He did, yes. But he did have more than two arms. So he possibly had more of a legitimate reason to do so. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's that's just as much of a possibility. It's Uh, better than the mundane idea that a cleaning droid just picked it up. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Flushed it out of the the garbage chute. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's, I'd, I don't know. I, do you know what? I, until such time as I saw the running order for this, I'd given it precisely no thought. And having <laughs> seen the running order for this, I'd given it almost no thought. So I reckon um, he took the cloak and the lightsaber and he sold them to Jeremy Corbyn so he could do his lookalike thing. Don't even check eBay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because there's been the whole Theresa May empire. Um, Who looks a lot like got, the emperor, yeah, unfortunately yeah. for her. <laughs> And then you've got obviously the photo of Corbin looking like uh, Alec Guinness. Is yeah, except it, did, I'm sorry, Corbin looks more like uh, the bloke who played Steptoe. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the feeling Wolf that actually, Wolf Wolf at, is it? Yeah, at home, he probably looks more like Steptoe as well. So I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to keep that in mind rather than destroying 
Did you see when um, uh, Cameron, you know, gave his press conference when he actually left his PM, and as he turned around and walked away, he was still mic'd up, and you could hear him whistling to himself. That was uh, fantastic. That was brilliant. That was really that, good. To be honest, is is a, a, a sort of fitting episode because obviously he's made you know the big thing about you know finishing an interview, turning on his heel, and just wandering off. Yeah. Um, and it's just that's you know I, I am I am so done with this. Bom, 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 bom. Right. Well, someone did a meme where he went off. And he's he's going dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> Does Obi Wan's robe fall to the ground and then the lightsaber falls on top of it? Yes. Yeah, which is strange because it wasn't like it should heavier. It'd be extended and yeah, and fall 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 away from it. But I dare say that <laughs> unless he was on the moon. <laughs> well, that's no moon, Phil. That's a space station. Space station. <laughs> I think just doing that effect was hard enough at the time. Have you seen any of the, any of the behind-the-scenes footage trying to get it to drop down and everything without you know without you seeing the wires and that sort of stuff? It was very tricky. I'm more more intrigued by the other part of this, which presumably was suggested by Withers. The uh, quotes taken out of context is that in response to the tweet I posted the other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your tweet, Ed? Well, there was a picture during the rounds, describe your sex life with a Star Wars quote. I mean, actually, all the good ones had already been used by the time I I, um, I, I waded in. So I went with uh, more machine than man now, twisted and evil. Um, and I followed up with, that's no moon. My favourite was, uh, you're not doing any good back there, pull out. <laughs> yeah. oh. You came in that thing, you're braver than I thought. <laughs> yes, that's, that's from one girlfriend oh, to another. I've got a bad feeling about this. Judge me by size, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say chewy, but then I thought I'd leave that. <laughs> Punch it, chewy. <laughs> Don't get cocky. <laughs> Didn't they do that in Family Guy? Don't get penisy. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like you either. Get in there, you big furry oaf. I don't care what <laughs> Sorry about the mess. <laughs> she may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts. <laughs> Back door, huh? Good idea. Look at the size of that thing. There is, good, there is good in him. I felt it. <laughs> Hurry up, Golden Rod. <laughs> There's an awful lot of moisture in here. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Right. Well, uh, we've we've plumbed new depths there. So uh, this is uh, no cave. <laughs> possibly you came in through the south entrance. And <laughs> 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 I thought they smell bad on the outside. <laughs> And we've broken Phil. We haven't broken Phil in ages, so uh, that's that's something, isn't it? <laughs> See, I bet there are absolutely none from Phantom Menace as well. Um, Trade Federation lines don't <laughs> don't do well as double entendres. <laughs> okay, enough of this silliness. Uh, that is it for this podcast, and uh, my thanks to Steve with us. I just wanted to ask a question: What does God need with a starship? Mark Hodgkinson. I miss my old chair. Ed Selly. Good night, Jim. And Mark Botwright. Be one with the horse. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and video. And of course, 
leave us those five star ratings on iTunes. You never know, we might read out your name or your witty comment next week. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Monday. We'll be right back.